If you're ever looking for a pastor, I knew that guy's name was Joe. <laughs> yeah. I'm just teasing. I appreciate the opportunity to be here. Um, take your Bibles and turn with me to uh, 2 Kings 22. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 Samuel, Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings. That far in. And I will turn there. And we are going to have these on the wall, I think. So I'm going to ask you to pray with me. And we will we'll be there in just a little bit. Dear God, real God, I pray that you would just speak this morning, God, I rebuke self-thoughts, proud thoughts. God, I thank you for your word. God, I have praise. I've prayed for God, hearts that are here this morning, hearts and minds, souls, God, to, to embrace the truth of what your word says to us today. <coughs> that we would be obedient to it. And God, that we would hear from you and your Holy Spirit. God, would you just settle into this place and, and go real low to where we are. And lift us up. Open our eyes to see. God, to hear. God, the things as the old Anglicans would pray, God, the things that uh, I know not teach me. God, what I have not give me. And what I see not show me. And what I am not make me. God, would you do that in our hearts today in just another step and growing to be more like you, Lord Jesus. We thank you. I pray for strength today. I pray for your words to be heard. In your name we pray. Amen. I am very tired for not getting enough sleep or something. And so I'm asking God to give me some strength and energy. So, um, There are tools. I find myself in life right now doing construction jobs and remodeling things and painting things. And so... Uh, uh, there are tools involved, and I, you know, I really, if I were a good presenter, I would have had a, uh, the tools here with me to give you a, so you'd leave going, wow, I remember that real good. So just pretend that you're seeing these things here. But there are tools involved in construction of, say, a house that are imperative if you are looking for a finished product that will be a lot of things, but one would be pleasing to the eye. Not to mention the amount of ease for the, the builder or other carpenters that come along or other specialists as you're going along. And these tools are designed to help that carpenter maintain four essential elements. I think there are four. There's probably more, but the four that I'm going to deal with. If correctness is to be maintained in the end and, and attained. Um, a plumb bob. We all know what a plumb bob is? Yeah. Or a plumb line or a plumb bob. It, uh, it lets us know when we are absolutely what? Vertical. Straight up and down. Um, and you can use your chalk box for that. Uh, a square, which lets us know that we are at a 90 degree angle when we need to be, or other angles, which they will let you do that too. But it lets you know when you have a perfect 90 degree angle, which you, is usually pretty good to have in walls and rooms, unless you've got one of those houses that I wouldn't bother working on. I'm teasing. Uh, a level. So 
you hang on to that picture for just a second. There we go. Um, a level, as you can see, is very useful. Can you make that picture out? Go back, go back, go back. Can you make that out? Go, yeah. Do you see this four wall here that's being built in line with the window in the back? Do you notice an issue? Okay. Next slide. This is what a level will help us do. Go to that next slide, Emily. Um, not good. <laughs> we need to be where? Inside the lines, right? This is, that's a truth you can take with you when you leave here today is we need to live life inside the lines. Remember that. That's to give you, that's as good as having it here. A level for accuracy and being level. And that's helping us use it to be vertical. That's kind of serving the purpose of the plumb bob, which is okay. And then a measuring tape so that our dimensions are all the same and accurate and what they need to be. What happens when you fail to utilize these tools and in turn fail to maintain essential elements? You get what we just saw. Problems. And if you take a square, and this is just a building thing, you probably know this, this is not anything new to you, but if you start out, let's just say you're building a wall that's gonna be 25 feet long. <laughs> room wall, whatever, imagine this, it's gonna be crazy, it's 80 feet, I think, in this room, if I'm not mistaken, 60 by 80, something like that. And you're a, you're a 16th of an inch out on this 25 foot wall when you start out, just a little, just a little 16th. By the time you get to the end of your 25 foot wall, you're an inch and a quarter at a square, which is going to cause you a problem with your next wall, right? You're not going to have a, and that's going to be problematic throughout the whole entire building project. For the drywall guy that comes along and forbid that you would ever use wallpaper that has vertical lines, that's going to be a problem because you're going to have those lines running into the corner of the wall as they go up. So you see what can happen when you don't have tools and you're not using them, this person, well, actually that was my level, so I don't know if they had a level or not. Um, which leads to all these problems that we're talking about. Flooring, I mean, all kinds of issues, so that you're, whatever, you know, that you see what happens. So I, if we boil all this down to one little two-word catchphrase, right matters, okay? Right matters. And then we're left asking the question, but what is right? But what is right? And what is often defaulted to when we don't utilize these necessary tools for the job is to, what do we do? If we don't have these tools and we're building this, what are we going to do? We're going to eyeball it. Extremely problematic. Because your eyeball is not like my eyeball. So yes, we're going we're to eyeball it. Um, in other words, we're going to be placing the end result on what seems right to me. Correct? It's what, I think that's right. It looks right to me. And this is where we get into problems. We're going to tile this. You see where this is going, I hope. What seems right to me, what looks to be right, and there's the kicker, is to me. What seems right to me. Josiah was eight years old when he became king of Judah. When he was thrown, when he was thrown, thrown into the into the throne, really. And it's important to know that Josiah's father and grandfather had been ruling over Judah for the last 57 years. There's 57 years of dad and granddad preceding Josiah. 
And they had lived with a what seems right to me leadership. And over these last 57 years, the temple had, of Jeru- in Jerusalem had fallen into disarray. It was messed up due to neglect. And Josiah has it in his mind to repair the temple. So let's pick this up in 2 Kings 22, if you're there. And we're going to pick beginning in verse 3, and I think we have this on the wall. It says, now in the 18th year of King Josiah, and he's 26 years old at this time, the king sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, the son of Meshullam, the scribe, to the house of the Lord, saying, go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, and have him count all the money brought into the house of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have collected from the people. And have them handed over to the workmen and have, that have oversight over the house of the Lord, and have them give it to the workmen who are in the house of the Lord to repair the damage in the house, to the carpenters, the builders, the masons, for buying timber and cut stone to repair the house. However, no accounting shall be made with them for money handed over to them because they deal honestly. That's what I tell everybody I do a job for. Just give me all the money. I'll take care of it because I'm an honest guy. <laughs> but that's what he was doing. He trusted these workers. He just said, don't even, don't even do an accounting of it. And then Hilkiah the priest, in verse 8, said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, who read it. And Shaphan the scribe came to the king and brought back word to the king and said, Your servant has emptied out the money that is found in the house and have handed it over to the workmen who have sought the oversight of the house of the Lord. Moreover, Shaphan the scribe informed the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it in the presence of the king. And when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. We'll stop there. We need to understand very clearly what has happened. This is, I really, and I'll just let me interject this. What I believe that I have here, and I have to trust the Lord for this, seems so weak in trying to impress upon us this message today. And so I'm really just praying that God will, I am. It's not going to be me that he will use this because I just, this, this is such a weighty, I mean, this is a weighty, weighty concern for us as the body of Christ. We need to understand very clearly what has happened in Judah over these last 57 years. We're going to learn from this. In order to learn for our lives today and for the lives of our children and our children's children, this is the significance of this stuff. Hilkiah realized is a high priest. Just try to comprehend that. He's the pastor. He's the lead pastor. He's the big kahuna. He's the leader of the temple. He's the high priest. And one might think that he would be in the know. Then Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. Do we realize what just happened? The book of the law, which is God's word to his people, had to be found. It was just like lost. Shoved in a table in some corner, I guess. I don't know. They weren't even using it. They weren't even, they weren't even reading from it. How many years had this been going on? Well, at least it took 57 years to get there, at least. We know that. Hezekiah preceded that 57 years and did good things and did right in the sight of the Lord. And just as we're telling all the words used by Shaphan the scribe, when he comes to 
Josiah with the book of the law is if he's like even more clueless, not that Hilkiah understood what he had. Shaphan, Shaphan just comes up and says, uh, moreover, Shaphan the scribe in verse 10 informed the king saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. That's pretty telling. Didn't say he gave me the book of the law. He just says he gave me, some, gave me a book. And he reads it to me. He doesn't even attach the title to the book. When he presented to Josiah the book of the law, it's like, it's, oh, by the way, your majesty, uh, Hilkiah gave me this book to show you. Tell you about. It's been almost 40 years. And when I read this passage and was struck by this picture of what I think is so relevant for us today. It reminded me of a book by the late Francis Schaeffer that he wrote in 40 years ago, back in 1984, entitled The Great Evangelical Disaster. And I remember reading that probably 40 years ago. And I want to just share an excerpt from that book that I think is, will help us. And Schaeffer's defining for us what a watershed is. He refers to this watershed he says, not far from where we live in Switzerland, the high ridge rock, there is a high ridge rock with a valley on both sides. One time I was there when there was snow on the ground along that ridge. The snow was lying there unbroken, a seeming unity. However, that unity was an illusion, for it lay along a great divide. It lay along a watershed. One portion of the snow, when it melted, would flow into one valley, and the snow which lay close beside would flow into another valley when it melted. Now it just so happens, Schaefer goes on, on that particular large ridge that the melting snow which flows down one side of the ridge goes down into a valley, into a small river, and then down to the, in the Rhine River, and then down in the Rhine River. The Rhine then flows through Germany, and the water ends up in the cold waters of the North Sea. The water from the snow that started out so close along that watershed on the other side of the ridge, when this snow melts... We're this close. There's going to be a break point. The water from the snow that started out so close along that watershed on the other side of the ridge when this snow melts drops off sharply down the ridge into the Rhone Valley. This water flows into Lake Geneva and then goes down below that in the Rhone River which flows through France and into the warm waters of the Mediterranean. The snow lies along that watershed unbroken as a seeming unity, but when it melts, where it ends in its destinations is literally thousand miles apart. That is a watershed. That is what a watershed is. A watershed divides. A clear line can be drawn between what seems at first to be the same or at least very close, but in reality it ends up in very different situations. In a watershed, Schaefer points out, there is a line. And very similar to our needing to understand what might seem an insignificant sixteenth of an inch in the corner of a wall starting out leads to inches out of square in the end. The watershed in the church today, let's bring it home. The watershed in the church today and what has been going on now for the past 100 years, if not more, but uh, things started changing in 1924 very significantly. I won't go into all the history of it. But in our society, the church took a major hit when it came to the authority of the Word of God. 
The watershed in the church today is what I would refer to as the, as the loss of the word of God. The title I gave you this message is a lost word. And what I'm wanting to communicate so very importantly is the subtle difference between seemingly, seemingly pointed out by the differences between Hilkiah the priest's response to the book and Shaphan the scribe. Hilkiah knew what he held in his hand. He knew it was the book of the law of Moses. Shaphan seems to only know it as a book. And then more importantly, Josiah recognized, Josiah recognized when he heard the words that it was the book. Schaefer's great evangelical disaster is simply the, the, and deeply saddening the loss of the authority. And I want to take it to this. It is the, it's the loss of the authority of God's word over our lives. We've got to stop just reading it. We've got to start embracing it and living by it. Even when it's not what we like. Even when it's saying things we don't want to hear. It doesn't change. Just because I don't like it doesn't change it. It's not going to make it be okay. Just because I don't want to do what it says because I don't think it's right. Because if I don't think it's right, I'm kind of putting the tool down, right? And eyeballing it. And kind of going with it my way. Listen to the prophetic words from the Holy Spirit to us through Paul. In 2 Timothy, if you're taking notes, you can write down 2 Timothy chapter 3. And this is where we're living, gang. This is where we're at. I mean, more so than, we're, we're here. But realize this, Paul says, that in the last days, difficult. And King James uses a wonderful word, perilous. Do we think we're going to be exempt from this? I hope not. I hope we're not thinking that way. Oh, that's, that's for some other group of Christians. I don't know. No. In the last days, which we're going we're, to... We're, with what I'm looking at, I'm seeing, I mean, we've been talking about the last days for the last 2,000 years, and in God's perspective, that's a short amount of time. But the things that are happening in our world today, prophetically and all, it's absolutely ridiculous. I'll use my word there. It's exciting, but I'll just tell you, it's kind of scary, too. Because there's a lot of nasty going to go down in the last days. In fact, it's going to be perilous times. Difficult times, Paul says, will come. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, slanderers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good. Sound familiar? It's a world. It's the spirit of the age. Treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And this is where it gets kind of frightening for us, holding to a form of godliness. This is like, are we sitting here today? Are some of us here today that are holding to a form of godliness, although we're denying its power? Avoid such people as these. And what that means is, is don't just not ever talk to them or help try to speak into their lives, but it's not who you're hanging out with. It's not who you're running with. And he goes on to verse 10. And this is where the word begins to come in. Now you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and suffering, such as has happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra. 
what persecutions I endured. And out of them all, the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who want to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But evil people and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You, however, he says, listen, continue in the things you have learned. Just please absorb this. We need to continue in the things that we have learned and become convinced of. And that might be another message. Are you convinced? Knowing from whom you have learned them and that from your childhood, listen, you have known the sacred writings. Listen to what the sacred writings will do. Which are able to give you wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Pretty powerful, right? Pretty significant, these sacred writings that we have maybe lost as it relates to the authority. Oh, we've got, I got my Bible. We got Bibles. But is it authoritative in my life? So that when it says I'm not really supposed to talk, I'm not, not really, I'm not supposed to talk and slander other people. I'm not supposed to be a busybody and get into people's business. Things that we think, ah, that's just a little. Wasn't little to God, was it? tool, the tool that we're not picking up and allowing to make, help it. It's, it's, it's our decision guide. It's our building guide for life. It's helping us remain plumb square level. Schaefer says this so well. He says, we who are believing Christians in its entirety, spiritually, historically, scientifically, that God's word is truth in every way. Not just as it applies to spiritual matters, but in historical matters and scientific matters and cosmological matters. We who are Bible-believing Christians face days of decision ahead. And this is 1984. Now. We're living in now. Soft days for evangelical Christians are past. And only a strong view of Scripture is sufficient to withstand, and this, and this is so real to where we're living, to withstand the pressure of an all-pervasive culture built upon relativism and relativistic thinking. Which is simply saying, the world's just saying, it's not, hey, what's right for me? I'm going to do what's right for me. Soft days for evangelical Christians are past, and only a strong view of Scripture is sufficient. Only a strong view of Scripture, that it is the absolute, final, authoritative Word of God for His people. We've got to live that will be insufficient if we do not hold to that authoritative word. We will not be able to withstand the pressure of an all-pervasive culture built upon relativism and relativistic thinking. Difficult days are here and will become increasingly difficult in the months and years to come. Good news is, Christ is coming back. We're not talking about that this morning, but that's the good news. That's the best. That's the great news. The call upon our hearts and minds today is to respond to the words of God in the same essence as Josiah did. We're going to look at Josiah very briefly this morning and gain some things from his, his, what he modeled for us. And walk out these doors, I would love to think and go, you know what? That's what I want to be. I want to choose. I'm going to draw a line in the sand. I'm, I'm, going to, I'm changing if I need to. If I need to. The call upon our hearts...
to respond to the word of God as Josiah. He tore his clothes. That seems kind of weird, but that's what they, it, was a, it was a sign of deep grief and sorrow and awareness that all is not good. That things are not good. They are, they are terribly bad. This deep sadness in response to what he had become aware of as Shaphan read the book of the law to him, which was God just giving out his promises about what was going to happen if you don't follow me and what's going to happen when you do, the blessing and the curse. So what do we learn from Josiah that we can apply to our lives? Turn over to 2 Chronicles if you want to, if you want to use your Bible. I love to see you, you love to keep using your Bibles, but write these down. Look at them again yourself. Look at Josiah's life. Look at the, his qualities in 2 Chronicles 34, 3. We read these words. It says, for in the eighth year of his reign, he's 16 years old at the eighth year of his reign, 16 years old, it says, and still a youth, he began to seek the God of his father, David. What do we learn about Josiah? Number one, he, was, he had a seeking heart. I've years ago realized that the word seek, because you know, you hear people say that a lot of times, you know, oh, just got to seek the Lord, seek the Lord, just got to seek the Lord. And we just use that word almost like a Christianese kind of thing, you know. But we ever think about what it means to seek the Lord. I really believe that it comes down to desire. Desire to me is synonymous with seeking. That I'm, I'm desiring him. I'm looking for him. As I would for hidden treasure. I desire him. Do you Want, that's another good word for this idea of seeking. Do you want God and his absolute truth above the changing values of the culture and your own will? That's seeking him. That's desiring him. Listen to Josiah's response to hearing the words of God. He, he sends a five-member team out on a, on a mission to go to the prophetess. So I'll just, I'll, let me just read this to you. And here's what he says. He sends these, this five-member team out on a mission. Go inquire of the Lord. This is in 3421, if you're taking notes. Go inquire of the Lord for me and for those who are left in Israel and Judah concerning the words of the book which has been found. For the wrath of the Lord which has poured out on us is great because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to act in accordance with everything that is written in this book. Josiah I would say, secondly, had an obedient heart. An obedient heart that wanted to inquire, what is it I need to do? Obedience is, what am I going to do? How am I going to respond to what God is saying in his word? Josiah heard that very clearly as he was at 16 years old already seeking God. And then it says in the 12th year, so he's what, 20 now? He began to purge Judah and Jerusalem, this obedient heart. In the 12th year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places as Asher. So he begins to tear down all this idolatry and get rid of all this godless, corrupt things in the culture. Because he was able to, because he was the king. But he was doing so, I really truly would say, as a, as a, with an obedient heart. This is what God is telling us we need to be doing. So Josiah says, I'm going to do it. You and I need to be doing the same thing. If God says this, I need to be about it. I've often said it when I would explain to somebody what the church was about, you know, where we're kind of were. I said, you know, we just kind of, I said, I kind of go by the thing that if it's in God's word, I want to be about it. If it's not, we don't. It's a pretty good place to be. It's where we need to be. It's where Josiah was. He was not content. He was not comfortable with merely hearing what Shaphan was reading to him about God. He knew he had to to move. 
to go out and begin to do something about what he had heard. God's word is about action. It's a, it's a call to a change of living, change of life, change of attitude, change of talk, change of thinking, change of seeing as he transforms us. Are you and I willing to live by what we find in this book, the word of God? Are we willing to live by what we find in it? Are we willing to refuse to adjust the word of God to fit the culture that's around me or what I look at through my eyeball looking at it and go, you know, yeah, but God probably doesn't really mean that anymore. That's dangerous. It's not only dangerous, it's just sin. It's just, it's just compromise. It's like saying, yeah, well, God probably didn't really mean. If you ever hear yourself saying that, just slap yourself. And just go, stop. Ask the Lord. Is it, is it okay to say ask the Lord to slap you? Ask the Holy Spirit to just throw the red flag up and just go, Mark, you're, out of my, you're, out, you're way out of line here, man. That's not how God, that's not, how, that's not who I am. Are you willing to live by what we find in the book, in this word? In a USA Today article, this is such a fantastic illustration of what we need to be about. Schaefer uses the term, he, he couches everything that we need to be about as Christians, as true Christ followers in love and holiness. Good, true things. We need to be living with love and holiness. And you've heard me teach this before, that what I would believe are probably synonymous in what he's meaning is uh, grace and truth. Grace and truth, and I think where Schaefer's saying love and holiness, I won't get into all that, but I think they're very similar. That's how we need to be living out in a contrary mindset. God's word is contrary to the spirit of this age. Yes? Okay. They're not going to, they're not going to, yeah, the flesh, the sin nature and the spirit of God are just like, it's a collision. And they're never going to go, yeah, let's do 50-50. No. It's not going to work that way. And so culture is going to, as he says, when Paul says difficult times will come, we're going to experience clashes with your coworkers, with friends, with best friends, over, over things in our culture that are like, yeah, I know this is kind of okay, this is good, we need to be loving and accepting, yeah, but we also need to be in truth. And so we're going to come up against conflict. And there's a way to deal with that. Schaefer's saying with love and holiness, and I would also agree, but also say with grace and truth. USA Today article, the Tampa Bay Rays celebrated their 16th Pride Night celebration on Saturday night at a game against the Chicago White Sox. But as the team was encouraging inclusiveness in society, the idea was far from unifying in the Rays clubhouse. Several Rays players, including pitchers Jason Adam, Jalen Beeks, Brooks Raley, Jeffrey Springs, and Ryan Thompson, declined to wear the special caps with the multicolored Tampa Bay logo, opting instead for their everyday ones. I want you to listen to the words of Jason Adam. Priceless. Holiness, grace, truth, love. Quote, a lot of times, see, a lot of it comes down to faith, to like a faith-based decision. Adam said, according to the Tampa Bay Times, quote, so it's a hard decision because ultimately we all said that we want, what we want is for them to know that they are welcome and loved here. But when we put it on our bodies, I think a lot of the guys decided it's just a lifestyle that maybe, not that they look down on anybody or think differently, it's just that maybe we don't want to encourage it if we believe in Jesus. 
who's encouraged us to live a lifestyle that would abstain from that behavior, just like Jesus encourages me as a heterosexual male to abstain from sex outside of the confines of marriage. It's no different. We learn more about Josiah. A third thing that we need to to emulate from the response from Huldah, the prophetess, to this five-man delegation that was sent by Josiah to inquire. In 2 Chronicles 34, 26, but to the king of Judah. So she's just said all the stuff, the nasty things that are going to happen to Judah because they just, you know, they're going to get, they're going to experience God's wrath. But she switches gears and says, but tell the king, Here's what I want you to tell Josiah. But to the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord, this is what you shall say to him. We're going to learn a third thing about him. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says in regard to the words that you have heard because your heart was tender. A sensitive heart would be a third point. A seeking heart Josiah had, an obedient heart, and thirdly, a sensitive heart. Would you do this? Would you ask God to give you a sensitive heart? I pray that for my children. I pray that for my grandkids. God, would you give them a sensitive heart to you? A heart, a sensitive heart to, to hear God and to, to see God around you and, and around them, to, to want God to work through me and in me for his glory. Just the other day, I made a run into trickets, hardware in town. I'm going in, I get what I need, I'm coming out. And as I'm walking out of trickets, and I recognize this lady. She's an elderly lady now. I recognize her from when she used to work at one of the banks in town. I'd see her all the time. I recognize her in a second. She's standing on the ground, obviously, outside the door of this F-150, kind of like this. I'm losing mic. Kind of like this because she's still strapped in with a seatbelt. I'm, I'm like, how? No. Are they that long? <laughs> she, I mean, she's on the ground, standing up, just kind of pinned back to the truck. She goes, help me? I don't know, went over. <laughs> I worked around her, you know, to try to reach around her and then snap her seatbelt. I said, okay, you're free now. And I said, um, where are you heading? Uh, she, very quickly, I realized that the lights were not on. She said, I think, I said, is your, is your husband here? She goes, yeah. I said, I, she said, I think he's in the bank over there pointing to Davis Trust. And I'm thinking, I don't think he parked over here to go to Davis Trust. He's right in front of Trickets. And I said, you know, i tell you what. Why don't we just walk into Trickets here and see if we can find him? So I took her and she took my arm and we strolled into Trickets. We strolled down the aisle there and came around the corner. And I just said, I'm just looking for the, the, whoever this young lady belongs to. We walk around the corner and. She goes, that's him. (laughs) (laughs) And so I reunited. And, you know, as I walked out, and this is what I want to be about, say about sensitivity, and I thank God for being sensitive. As I'm walking back, I was blessed. Not because I did something great, but because God put me walking out of trickets. As who knows where or what this uh, little old lady would have done, gone wandering off down the street to wherever, across the street, middle of the street, who knows. That, and so as I walked out of there, I'm like, bless you, Father. Bless you for using me. 
Bless you for, for putting me there then. Sensitive. A sensitive heart. The last quality. And I tell you, God answers prayer, you hear. Ask him to make you sensitive. To hear his voice when he speaks. And the last quality about Josiah for us today is uh, a little bit further down in uh, chapter 34, 2 Chronicles, verse 27. Because your heart was tender, he says, and, very importantly, critical. You'll see in a second. You humbled yourself before God when you heard his words. Well, I don't like that. I don't like the way it said. I don't like it telling us that. That's the opposite of what Josiah did. He humbled himself. When he heard his words, when you heard his words against this place and its inhabitants, because you humbled yourself before me. Listen to this. Because you humbled yourself and tore your clothes and wept before me, God's speaking to Josiah and says, I have indeed heard you. A humble heart Josiah possessed. Don't stop asking God to give you a sensitive heart. Don't stop asking God to give you a humble heart. Ask God to reveal pride in your heart. Make notes. You know, I got off praying over a list. I think I'm going back because I find myself forgetting to pray things that I think I really need to be praying. Like, God, give me wisdom. Teach me humility. Keep me humble, God. Give me a servant's heart. These things that are so important. God, help me be disciplined. I need help being disciplined. Don't stop asking God to give you a humble heart. Ask Him to reveal pride in your heart. We all have the disease. We've all got it. Pride is so prevalent. I know it is in me. I have a hunch it is in you too. Crazy, stupid pride sometimes. Stupid, silly, embarrassingly stupid things that you think, yeah, I did that pretty good. God help me. God help us to have a humble heart that says, God, it's not about me. It's all about you. And get and then, because you humbled yourself before me, I have indeed heard you, declares the Lord. Humility before God, listen, gives you a hearing with Almighty God. God tells us what will he do with proud hearts? What will he do with proud hearts? He says he will resist. But what does he do with a humble heart? He gives grace. And I've said this so many times, I need so much grace. I'm finding that the older I get in my journal, So aware. It's this grace. It has me even where I am and not where I would be. And that's an answered prayer. It's not me, it's him. Imagine that. The creator of the universe. I have no idea. I have an audience with him when I walk in humility. 
Now I'll leave you with a selection of passages and thoughts from the Word of God, <clears throat> on the Word of God for us. Psalm 119, spend a lot of time there. It's all about the Word, statutes, precepts, commandments. Hang out there for a while. Hang out there a lot. Proverbs, read the first eight verses of Proverbs and go, man, it'll do that for me. You read a proverb a day, read a, read a chapter a day. And I don't just mean read, but just think about what you're reading. There's one for 30, just 31 of them, 31 chapters, one day a month. Just, whenever I'm not really directed somewhere, I'll go to the Proverbs that day. And, and yeah, it's just so, read the first eight verses of chapter one. It'll tell you everything it'll do for you. It's like, a, if it'll do that, why not? I need to read this all the time. Psalm 119, verse 11 says, I've treasured your heart in my, or your word in my heart. You know, King James people, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I've treasured your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Could it be that our hearts are so full of the stuff of this world that we have no room left for anything else to treasure? Or hide anything else, let alone God's word? Truth is, his word, treasured, hidden in our hearts, will lead us to live holy lives so that I may not sin against you. Hello. The word of God, his voice, his heart, his thoughts will guard our hearts from the pull of sin in the flesh. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. True? Absolutely true. Am I going to live by that? Am I going to accept that? Am I going to embrace that? God's word refers to this world which we live in as a kingdom of what? Darkness. Because of the kingdom of darkness. Hence, we need light for the path, don't we? We need the light on the, for the path through it. And when we neglect the word of God as the absolute word of God, absolute truth, if we're just reading it, good stories, good principles to live by, yes, that's true. But as the authoritative word of God that stops me in my sin tracks and says, no. And I want to be obedient to that. God's word refers, again, to this kingdom of darkness. We need light. When we neglect the word of God as the absolute word of God, we cannot even see the path, let alone our feet. It's a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. May I encourage you to read and listen to the word of God. Not, not, going, to the, not going for a feeling. Don't read the word for a feeling. Don't, look for, don't go to the Word hoping you feel better when you, when you get, you know. Feelings do what? They're all over the place. It's nice when you feel good. Enjoy that. It's cool. But don't base your time with God on feeling. Don't say, God, I just need to feel so much. I need to feel something today. No. God, I need to know you. I need, to be, I need your nearness. I need your truth. God, would you speak to me? Go for truth. Go for wisdom. Go for knowledge. Go for understanding. Go for nearness. Go to the Word for nearness to God. Not how it's going to make you feel. Psalm 119, verse 32. I, is, I shall run the way of your commandments. Get this. For you will enlarge my heart. This is, so, this is so good. I shall run the way of your commandments. Okay, there's your commandment, God. That's that path. That's the track. I'm running on that. I'm running for your commandments. I'm living by them. For you will enlarge my heart. Want a bigger heart for God? Maybe you think that's probably a good idea. Have a bigger heart for God. Kind of like, you know, making more space for God because that's exactly what this is talking about. Give God a bigger room in which to dwell in, within you 
and then run in that direction. It says the way of God's word. The word uh, enlarge in Hebrew means to acquire territory. It's, it means gain, to gain living space. This word enlarge. God, make my heart a bigger living space for you. As I spend time in his word, he's going to enlarge my heart. He's going to have more room in me. My challenge to you is this. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. However, continue in the things that you have learned and been convinced of, knowing that from whom you've learned them, he says. And that from childhood, you've known the sacred writings, which are able to give you wisdom that leads to salvation, pretty important stuff, through faith which is in Christ Jesus. And then Paul goes on. All scripture is inspired by God. Not some of it, not kind of inspired, not if you like it, it's inspired. First word, last word, inspired. And all the words in between. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so the man of God, the woman of God, the person of God, the people of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Jesus prayed in John 17, but now I come to you with these things I speak. Excuse me, Jesus is praying to the Father. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word. I have given them your word, Jesus is praying and talking to the Father. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I'm not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. You ready for this? Praying to the Father, sanctify them in the truth. And then what does he say, class? Thy word is truth. Need anything else be said? If you have lost the word, neglected to read it, study it, absorb it, today is the day for us to strap on the tool belt, the tool singular belt and make changes in our journey and how we're building life. Make time with God and his word a daily priority. Not just, yeah, you know, a daily priority. Forget the feelings. Be honest. You know, I can't tell you the times that I've gone and started to pray or spend time in the word and I'm just like, God, I really don't feel like being here. I'm going to tell you. I think I want to say that every time. Because when we're honest with him, Dobie, he settles on that honesty instead of just kind of faking through it like I'm so glad to be reading your word today when that's not true be honest with God he's big enough to take it he's got big shoulders he desires honesty teach your children by example model hunger for God for, for them let them see that husbands man up or as Paul would say play the man Love your wives. Bless your children with a legacy of being a man after God's heart. Teach your children to be, to be aware of the Word of God, to revere the Word of God. Ladies, model what a godly woman's heart looks like to your kids. And I've seen and come behind carpenters who apparently didn't use a level, a square, or maybe even a measuring tape accurately. And it's sometimes difficult and it's sometimes even impossible to go back and repair correctly. We have the tool to live life plumb, square, and level. 
the way God desires us to live it. Grab the tool and do not let it out of your sight. And as I was sitting down here this morning, just after we prayed, this last verse in John 8, verse 31. Jesus says, if you continue in my word, then you're truly disciples of mine. And you will know the truth. And what's the truth going to do, folks? It's going to set us free. When we struggle and fight against God and His truth, there's no freedom. Freedom is so good. When you can put your head down on your pillow at night, take a deep breath and just kind of go, it's good. I'm not fighting God about anything. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word today. It's truth. And God, would we leave here more in love with you and your word, God? Would you change us and transform us and make us aware, God, if we've just been readers and not listeners to what you're saying? God, throughout this book that you've given us, God, your voice, there are so many references to you speaking, but your people wouldn't listen. Help us not to be those unwilling to listen. God, there's nothing in this life so important as knowing you and being near to you and having your nearness. So God, we just commit this word to you today and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.